Hello everyone and welcome back to the Skyrim audio adventure. I don't really have any announcements, but just huge, huge thanks to my patrons and especially to my newest patron, Joanna Howard. Fast start, really. I am I am blown away that I got three patrons in three weeks. That is that is mind-boggling to me. <laughs> I I really when I got the Patreon notification, I cannot describe the sheer giddy dance that I was doing because it, it was uh I will never forget that moment in my whole life the the idea that I was actually getting paid to write that was just a dream and thank you so much for supporting this project and for and for putting your buck behind me I will do everything that I can to live up to that and I guess let's get started with this week Chapter 7 of the Skyrim Audio Adventure, At the Whims of a Wolf. The hunter awoke to the smell of buttery sweet rolls baking. He heard Bracknell through the wall, already chatting away with the tavern owner Holda. It was a bit rude for him to talk so loud so early while people were trying to sleep. He rolled over on a bed that felt far too good for the likes of him. And he woke up again with a start. He hadn't meant to do that. The conversation was gone replaced with the low hum of late morning life. This bed was dangerous. It pulled at him like a warm, grasping lilac muck, and he had to fight to pull himself out. When at last he dragged his legs over the edge and sat up, something occurred to him. His body wasn't a house of pain. The hunter resolved to never doubt the effectiveness of healing potions again. Sure, he had had a great meal and spent the night in the most luxurious room he'd ever been afforded, but it was remarkable how quickly his bruises from the previous night's scrap had faded. Most were gone completely, and his battered knees were fully functional. Even that little blister on his foot he'd noticed the night before had gone. He threw the covers off and allowed the chill of Skyrim to wake his mind and bring him sharply into the world. However, there was only the mild warmth of the inn. That was something he didn't imagine he'd ever get used to. He reached for his furs and boots, but he didn't find them. Now he was awake. The absence of his consummate protection from the elements woke him up faster than the elements themselves ever could. His room was small and simple, more of a closet with a bed than a room. From what he understood, one would have to pay significantly more gold for that spiffy attic room. He flopped onto the floor and looked under the bed. Nothing. He tossed the covers around and lifted the pillow. Nothing. He checked in, behind, and to the sides of the little bedside drawer. 
and with a sinking feeling, he realized that there was nowhere else to look. The room was too small and unfurnished. They physically couldn't be anywhere in here. Thinking nothing of his nudity, the hunter stepped out of the room and almost ran right into Halda, who blinked at him and stepped back. My clothes have been stolen. Ah, uh, yes, yes they have, by me. Where? Why? Bring them back. Please, you'll need to relax. Her eyes glanced down for the briefest moment, and she suppressed a giggle. In more ways than one. Here, I think you need to read this, she said, holding out a folded slip of paper. The hunter took it and read, paying no heed to her comments on his current state. Hello, stranger, it read. While animal skins and sweat are fine for the wilds, I think it best you don't smell like mammoth droppings when you enter the esteemed Hall of the Companions. So, as thanks for an entertaining contest last night, I've arranged for Holda to wash your clothes and offer you a bath. Ayala. The hunter took a deep breath to calm himself and squinted at Holda. You have baths? Not at all, she smiled. A few minutes later, the hunter was gasping as a bucket of water was dumped over his head. The bathing facilities of the bannered mare were a couple of modest blinds out back of the inn with sun-warmed rocks for sitting on. Don't just sit there and shiver, Hulda scolded. Get scrubbing. An icy wind came out of the north and the hunter wanted to crawl into himself as it whipped by. But instead, he uncurled himself and dipped his hands into the sudsy bucket of water, crushed canis root, and artemisia. It felt somehow smoother than normal water and smelled fresh and fragrant. He cupped his hands and set about scooping it onto himself as Hulda stepped off to get more water. As he toiled away at his armpits and nether regions, his ears warned him of multiple sets of feet walking past. He poked his head up like a prairie dog and peeked over the top of the blind. He saw guards in their uniform gold sashes, walking past, talking to each other in relaxed tones. There was a path back there, and considerably more traffic than he'd been expecting for somewhere so peripheral in the city. He looked along the path, and to his surprise he found a door to his left, carved into a rocky ledge. Holda stepped back into the blind with a full bucket of water, and the hunter turned to her. What's that door there? Back there? Oh, that's the guard's barracks. I thought the barracks were by the gate. Whiterun is a big place. We need lots of guards, and guards need beds. Now come down from there, or I'll douse you where you stand. Do they have windows, or any kind of vent, or is it really just a hollowed-out rock? I wouldn't know. You would have to ask them. I don't know if I like that idea. <laughs> he was cut off. At the end of his sentence, cold water was splashed along his back and backside. He instinctively shrunk and wobbled back over to the sun-warmed rock. Don't forget your hair, Hulda called as she moved away again. Is, is there any breakfast? A slice of apple pie for two silver. Is it warm? Of course. I'll take it. Apparently, it took his furs an awful long time to dry. He had tried to convince Holda to give them to him wet, but she refused, saying, I don't want Ayala asking me why you've come down with a brown rot. And so it was that he sat in his room eating a large slice of apple pie in a loincloth. Frankly, he was hard-pressed to call any of this a bad thing. 
though it felt strange and gaudy to him. Even though he had handed hold of the money himself, he felt like a thief. Just being in the city, he felt like an imposter. How did Bracknell so easily switch from his reclusive lifestyle to a city socialite? Oh, it's simple, Bracknell said. I've been here longer and they all know me. It was noon by the time his clothes were dry enough to wear. Now he and Bracknell stood at one of the seldom used parapets looking south at the road they'd come by. The hunter knew the outlook was a lonely place because of how overgrown the steps leading to it were. Dust had become dirt, dirt had become soil, and soil had seeded grass, till what was once a set of stairs was a choppy slope. The forest stood now a towering green gateway just as grand, if not more so, than the gates of the city. Its frame the foreboding bleak falls mountain and the incomparable throat of the world. The green trees spilled out onto the golden fields like water springs from stone, or even like a tongue hangs from a tired dog's mouth. It had been long since the hunter had seen the mountain like this. Skyrim is a big place, but it's been said that you can see the throat of the world from all of its corners. Staring now at its sheer enormity, the true peak nowhere to be seen, he believed it. Well, that's not what I'm saying. I mean... It feels like you have a home here. So why do you live in a tree? A few reasons. Some I shared with you. Oh yeah? Like what? Well, we like to take people on our own terms. We're not too concerned with politics. And the wild calls to us. We live for the land. And you seem to know a lot about war for someone who isn't concerned. War isn't politics, war is war, and I've seen a few. I suppose you have. So, you get your footlocker? I put in the commission, but the Battleborns beat me to the punch. They've got Adrian making steel for the Legion. I'll get my locker in three weeks. Will we be here in three weeks? We won't be here for three days, which brings us to you. Are you ready to go to your Vasker? Yeah, I think so. Who are the Battleborns? Don't change the subject. You wanted training, I got your training. Plenty with far superior blood would give a small fortune for the opportunity I'm giving you. Now you need to step to it. I will, I will. They're just people. They're as ignorant, simple, brave, and intuitive as you are. Plenty to respect. Nothing to fear. Okay. Okay. Let's go. There you go, lad. I'm not a lad. Ah, we're all lads, aren't we? The elder hunter said esoterically, and the pair stepped off into Whiterun. Whiterun was built on a natural spring, as it turns out. That tributary they had walked along the previous day had been run off from the city. With the plentiful water supply, the city was not short of greenery. When they reached the market square, a whirling twister of cottonwood leaves was skittering its way across the stones. The market was busy. Food stalls that had been silent watchers to his and Ayala's scrap the previous night were now full of shouts and smiling faces. As he passed, he found that not all of the stalls were for food. One was a glass display of jewelry, helmed by a graceful woman with silver hair and deep laugh lines on her face. Jewelry? she called, crafted by the great Jorland Greymane himself. 
One was run by a tall, willowy woman with red hair and red makeup at the corners of her eyes, and it was filled with all kinds of assorted odds and ends. The woman was tinkering at the hinge of a small locket and didn't look up as they passed. Suddenly he heard a small, familiar gasp. He turned to see a vegetable stall with a tiny face peeking out at him. It was Mila, one of the children from the night before. He half expected her to leap onto the counter of the stall and bravely draw her brand new enchanted sword, but instead she ran to tug on the skirts of an imperial woman with long dark hair and pale skin. When she got the woman's attention, she pointed at him. The woman, he was guessing her mother, followed her finger and met the hunter's gaze. She narrowed her eyes at him, and he looked away, almost certain he'd just been called Bandit again. At the end of the market square, there was an impressive staircase that led up to an ornate wooden archway inlaid with Nordic symbology. It was framed by two troughs running with clear spring water. It was beautifully captivating architecture, and the feeling of unbelonging constricted the hunter's heart like a vine girdling a tree. Bracknell seemed altogether unbothered by it, and proceeded to ascend to the next level of the city. He wondered if this was how he always breathed, or if he was breathing like a bandit somehow. Would the guards be suspicious? Whiterun is divided into three districts, separated by walls and affluence. The Plains District was the lowest, and was comprised of huts with straw roofs, the occasional simple house, and the much sturdier storefronts. Being the closest to the gates, it seemed to be the center of trade in the city. The highest level was Dragon's Reach Castle, a structure that so dwarfed all those around it that it was sometimes called the Cloud District. The district in the middle was called the Wind District. As the hunter crested the stairs to this level, he was greeted by the sight of a large withering tree. It didn't look dead, but it was hardly lively. He didn't recognize the type of tree either. Its trunk was thick and its branches spread out wide, growing in irregular, meandering patterns. The stonework was finer, and the grass was well under control. Something moved to his left, and he almost jumped out of his skin at the sight of a cow behind a fence. It turned its wide, horned head and looked at him with a thoroughly bored expression. Every single house looked to be two stories tall, and had a fenced yard of some kind. They were made of fine wood and clay, and he swore he heard a dog barking somewhere far away. The bannered mare was probably the finest structure in the Plains District, but it was put to shame by every single structure in the Wind District. Alarms rang in the hunter's mind, but he silenced them, and followed Bracknell to the right. Small bridges ferried them over the elegantly curving waterways as they weaved through the city trying not to make eye contact with any of the guards. Dragon's Reach Castle was looming large in their sight when the hunter spotted something so absurd, he just stopped. There was a massive stone eagle up on the hill, its wingspan as big as any of the fine houses, and it seemed to be looking down at an overturned ship. He saw the domed shape, and the keel for cutting through the water, sticking straight up as clear as day. Well, that's just silly, he muttered. 
That's where we're going. What the shit? That's your Vasker. I thought your Vasker was a mead hall. It is a mead hall, and it was also built from the ship that carried Yskrimor to Tamriel. By the gods, they really flipped it, huh? Yeah, they must have. Way before my time, I tell you that. Now go on. You first. Hold on, I have a question. You always do. Who are the Battleborns? I'm actually getting curious now. What? Oh, just ask me later. Ask me over a drink. Focus on the moment. You're late! The two looked ahead to the wide staircase ahead of them, and saw Ayela sitting at the top in a fine but relaxed green tunic. The stitching around the shoulders was frayed from where she had apparently torn the sleeves off. She wore form-fitting brown pants, and her tunic was tied with a modest utility belt. Trust a hunter to carry a dagger, resin, file, skinning knife, and herbs when they were just relaxing. Well, you're the one who thought I smelled like mammoth dropping, so I'd say this is on you. I take it you smell more presentable now. Why don't you take a whiff and find out? Are you sure you want me that close? I, uh, well, uh, well, no, I, uh... The hunter felt his mouth go dry and his mind split. Ayala chuckled. Okay, relax, pup. I can smell you from here anyway. First things first. Let's go up to Yorland and see about that finger. walk up to the Skyforge was interesting, to say the least. They skirted the front of Yorvaskar. Old, battered war shields hung like ornaments along the outer wall. Gilded double doors still smelled of sea salt. As they cleared the edge of the building, they could see several figures training in the open yard behind the hall. Two were shooting arrows into dense straw targets, and two were slowly and deliberately moving through great sword forms and techniques. In the shade of the patio, he saw the silhouette of a large, bearded man in a loose shirt. He couldn't make out much else, as before he knew it, he was walking up those stone steps to the nest of the giant stone eagle. Resting at the eagle's feet, sheltered by its earthen wings, lay not a stone clutch of eggs, but the molten pit of a forge. Working the forge, Swathed in dirty white but for his smithing apron and armored pants was a noble Nord whose gray hair seemed to clash with his rippling muscles. His thick giant skin gloves were black from handling his charcoal encrusted tools. The skin on his arms was scarred from old blisters and burns. Every inch darkened from a life in the sun and the flame. This was Yorlind Greymane, the master of the Skyforge. Remembering the illusions the guard had made as to Yorlin's temperament, the hunter had decided to hang back and let Ayala and Bracknell do what they did best and talk. It was at precisely this moment that he realized Bracknell was no longer with them. He looked around frantically and finally spotted a Bracknell-shaped shadow in the shade of the patio with the bearded figure from before. He looked back at Ayala who was approaching Yorlin and gulped. Yorlin! Ayala called over the roar of the bellows. The Nord nodded in silent acknowledgement, but otherwise stayed focused on his work. He was refining a small piece of orange-hot steel into what looked like a pommel. 
He was hammering it against the pointed tip of the anvil and seemed to be searching for some noble arching design. Ayala motioned for the hunter to sit next to her on the rock, and he did so. For a few minutes, the two just sat there and watched the master smith work. It was captivating how captivated he seemed. The look in his eyes was that of a man who had shrunk the world till it could be held in his hands. It was a focus the hunter had never seen, and one neither him or it seemed Ayala could match. You much of a marksman? I'm alive, aren't I? Not especially well fed, though, she said, poking him in the ribs. He reflexively swatted at her hand, but missed. I could say the same for you. Ayala tossed her head back in a condescending laugh. <laughs> if we wrestled, I'd crush the life out of you like a troll catching a rat. I'm not so sure. I measured up pretty well last night. You make it sound like you won. I pummeled you into the ground. Then, after breaking every code of honorable combat and spending most of the time running away, you got a lucky shot. And I also gave the Wolf of Whiterun a bloody nose. And how many can say that? Ayla fixed him with a gaze that was not amused or annoyed. All right, a contest it is then. She stood up on the rock and called down to the practicing archers. Rhea, she called. A young imperial girl in scaled armor looked up. She wore the deflated head of a young Elhorn on her shoulder, and the hunter couldn't help but wonder if the horns affected her range of motion. Some people would have wondered what the creature was, but he knew. Some people would have wondered where she'd gotten it, but he knew where Elhorn were most commonly found, and it fit her imperial appearance. So no. He sat there and wondered if those horns affected her ability to shoot straight. Yes, Ayala? My bow, Ayala said simply. Oh, of course. Rhea said before setting down her bow and running to retrieve Ayala's from the patio. So, does your finger affect your shooting? Oh, certainly. I shoot left-handed now. You switched? Yep. You know, it wasn't as hard as I thought it would be, but knocking the arrow is really pesky. Okay. I'll go easy on you then. Ayala stepped over to the stairs and took her bow and quiver from the hurried Rhea. We'll shoot one arrow at the closest target. Center mass. Rhea, tell everyone to clear briefly. We're taking a couple shots. The hunter peered down at the training yard as the figures moved to the protection of the patio. The round archery targets were practically beneath them. She must be referring to the burlap straw simulacrums of men that lined the outer wall 40 to 60 yards away. What do you do when you want to practice from farther away? Head up to Dragon's Reach Castle and scream look out below. Think we could try that now? No, too much traffic. Besides, you couldn't make that shot. True, I probably couldn't, but I wouldn't mind seeing you do it. Ayala smirked at him for a moment. Without her face paint, she looked younger. Older than him, but not by much. Her eyes, however, retained that predatory intensity he'd noticed when they'd first met. That, it seemed, didn't go away no matter how much mirth or warmth her expression held. Then I'll have to find some other way to impress. The hunter stretched his arms and stood on the rock looking down at the yard. The close one on the far wall? Yes, if you think you can handle that. Well, if we're looking to impress, we might as well push it. I'm going for the far target. Ayala shrugged. Have ear way. The hunter unslung his bow and drew an arrow from his low-hung quiver. 
He'd yet to make the adjustment to drawing with his left hand, so his arrows were still at his right hip. His face burned for a moment as he clumsily handed his bow to his right hand and handed his arrow to his left hand. They gave a wooden clatter against each other as he fumbled with them. At last he stood, arrow knocked, and took a deep breath as he focused on his target. He raised his bow and lined up the shot. He glanced over his shoulder at Ayala. She was watching him levelly with those steel eyes. She seemed to have a knack for inflaming his bravado with one breath and dousing it with the next. I just started shooting like this uh, yesterday, mind you. He mumbled sheepishly as if to dampen expectations. The hunter drew the string back and slowed his breaths. It shows, muttered Ayala. The hunter scowled, made a minute adjustment for the southbound breeze, and released. An all-too-familiar sting burst into his stump finger. Tears welled up in his eyes, but he bit his tongue to keep from crying out. The arrow wobbled a bit on the way out, but as the black fletchings caught the air, its flight straightened, and less than a heartbeat later, it thwacked into the wood and straw head of the desired target. Ayala whistled. Very impressive. A bit high, but a killing shot nonetheless. How did it feel? The hunter cleared his throat, but his voice still squeaked a bit as he said, I felt good. Your eyes are watering. The hunter lowered his bow and wiped his eyes. <clears throat> yeah, well, must be a nip in the air. It hurts your hand to shoot like that, doesn't it? It wasn't a question, and the hunter knew it. He finally met her gaze. If there was pity in those eyes, he couldn't spot it. However, he did see curiosity. Not every time, but... Yeah, he conceded. Give me your bow. The hunter was taken aback. What? Oh, uh, sure. It's not a problem with the bow. I've had it for ages. Ayla took Laria and examined it closely from all angles. She held it and drew the string from both the left and right side before peering down the points. Can I see your bow? The hunter asked. Ayala seemed absorbed in what she was doing. Hmm. What? No. But I just gave you mine. Don't ask me to repeat your mistakes. Listen, you need a new bow. What are you talking about? That one works fine. It works for you. It's warped. Years of shooting right-handed have bent the wings. You don't have a problem because it's a slow process, and you've been slowly adjusting your aim for years without ever realizing it. Even left-handed, you still understand how the bow behaves, but it's not shaped for you anymore. I thought you said my form was off. It is, and I'm sure that'll help, but it won't fix the problem. Ayla set her quiver down against the rock and drew an arrow. She sat down on the rock facing the forge and knocked the arrow. Watch this. I just got this bow a month ago. She suddenly arched and lay back across the rock, her arms and head hanging over the edge. She was preparing to shoot upside down. She knew what she was doing. The hunter was almost sure of it. Not with the archery, there was no question there, but rather what she was doing to him in that moment. Gravity being what it is, and the light cloth of her tunic being what it was, he was having a very hard time focusing on her shooting form, or the target's downrange. He felt his palms grow warm with sweat as she drew the arrow back to her anchor point. Right as she smoothly and effortlessly released the arrow, he caved and snuck a peek at her lithe contours. 
She had to know what she was doing to him. It was impossible that she was that oblivious. He was brought back to Nern by the distant thud of Ayla's arrow burying itself deep in the bullseye of the target's chest. With a shake of her auburn hair and a hook of her knee on the rock, she sat up easily and fixed him with a familiar smirk. Impressive enough for you? The hunter was caught up in the rhythm of banter, so he quickly opened his mouth to respond. However, as he had nothing, all that came out was a... Aha, good shot. Ayla chuckled. Thank you. Do you think I could split your arrow? I bet I could. The hunters grabbed another arrow and lay back once more. Uh, actually, I only have four. The hunter began before being cut off by the wooden creak of the bow wings. Then, thwip! The arrow flew across the yard and landed a whole inch away from his own. Huh, missed. One more shot. No, 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 no. I only have the four arrows. You can buy more. Not if I'm buying a new bow. So you are getting a new one. I doubt I could afford one, actually. So, you can spend the money on arrows. Ayala, please don't break my stuff. If you can't afford a broken arrow, I don't very much see how you can expect to employ me. Ayala and the hunter abruptly turned to see Yorland Greymane standing, arms folded, regarding them steadily. Ayala nodded to him and turned to call, Range clear! to all those taking shelter in the patio. As the warriors began to trickle back into the yard, Ayala turned back to the legendary blacksmith. Afternoon, Yorland. If this is about your shield, you'll need to wait a bit longer. Yorland rumbled with a calm, enigmatic gaze. Don't worry, I'm not here for that. In fact, I'd like this new project to take precedence. Are you going to pay for this, uh, ragamuffin? The hunter internally growled at that. So much for the bath. Maybe he should tie his hair back, or invest in some actual clothes. I will cover any expenses, but I assure you, once you hear what he needs, you'll want to give me a discount. Hmm, I highly doubt that, but I'll listen. Ayala looked expectantly at the hunter, who felt his nethers retreat into him as Yorland's gaze followed. Go on, stranger. Tell him. Well, I was bowfishing out on Lake Illinalta when I ran into some vampires and... Yorlin's eyes had already glazed over, and he felt Ayala's sharp elbow in his side. Tell him what you want him to do. Oh, right. The hunter held up his hand. Yorlin seemed very taken aback. One of his eyebrows twitched, which was more than any of his face had done to that point. I believe you're barking up the wrong tree. The healers are down at the temple. The healers can't fix this, but you may be able to replace it. Yorlin tried to look disinterested, but his eyes were fixed on the hunter's mangled hand. Most with such injuries would settle for a hook hand, or count themselves lucky that they kept any digits at all. I must learn swordplay, and I can't properly handle a blade of any weight without that finger. Why don't you switch to your left hand? Because his left hand is shit, Ayala piped up. Yeah, what she said. Crafted by the great Yorlin Greymane himself? You don't just make blades and shields. I don't know of any device as delicate and intricate as the one you propose. Well, who better than the great Yorland Greymane to craft the first? Hmm. Yorland wandered away across the high, flat workshop that was the Skyforge. He came to the edge that looked south over the plains and stared off, pensive, into the middle distance. Ayla leaned into the hunter's ear. Well done, she whispered. He's already started building it.
Jorlin spun around and strode back to them at a pace that was not hurried nor relaxed. I'd expect you'd be wanting a sword that could protect your fingers in future encounters. I, uh, that would be ideal, yes. There are swords of that make out west. I haven't made the like since I was a student. Nords have a taste for straight blades and cross guards. This, this will be something different. What will it be? It will be what you need. How many days are you here? Two more days. I'll get you that finger before you leave. Don't expect the sword for a number of weeks. That's a longer process. Okay. I'll see you tomorrow morning then. Hmm. Was the only response he got, as it seemed Jorland had already returned to his work. The hunter looked to Ayela, bemused but pleased. She was beaming right back at him. Thanks again. Don't mention it. What are we doing next? Ayla's excited gaze was beginning to worry him as she said, Now, we make a warrior out of you. The hunter was not prepared for what the rest of the day held. He thought there would be some light sparring and an introduction to swordplay, forms and techniques, drills. Instead, Ayla challenged him to a race around Yorvaskar. He started off slow, not wanting to overtax himself, but Ayla immediately blew past him and competition demanded he follow. When that race was over, she insisted they go again, only this time, rather than run around the patio, they had to leap up and grab onto the overhang and scrabble across it. Not only that, but they had to do it three times. Then he lay down and they dropped a log as thick as he was on his chest. And he had to lift it. Repeatedly. He lifted stones, he lifted logs, he lifted himself. He pulled up to the patio overhang and down again. And up and down, up and down. A bunch of people he didn't know were shouting at him encouraging him, but in tones that didn't sound particularly kind. Of course he was tired. He was exhausted almost immediately. He was not a sprinter. His body was not built for this kind of output. He was a strider, built for distance and quick explosions when needed. He'd never considered the idea that he would need to move this fast and this hard for this long. Do you really think your enemy cares? Ayala asked, looking down at him. They had been doing more laps of Yorvaskar, when he jumped for the overhang, slipped, and smashed into a table on his back. Do you think that they'll wait? There will come a time when you need to match their pace. You died a hundred times over last night because you couldn't keep up. The hunter knew she was right, but this whole thing was beginning to feel like an attack of its own. When at last he picked up a sword, several things were wrong. First of all, his limbs had been reduced to jelly. He was wondering if another healing potion would help at all. Secondly, it was practically sundown and his stomach was beginning to protest loudly. And finally, this sword was ridiculous. It was a blunt iron rod, almost as long as he was tall, lined with dense mountain mahogany. He tried to lift it like a sword and it was a hellish thing. I don't plan to use a great sword, he said sheepishly. 
course you don't, Ayla said patiently. The training bars for greatswords are over there. She pointed to a couple of bars that might as well have been trees that were leaned against the yard wall. As the first bit of mercy the hunter was given all day, he was not asked to swing the stick of misery, only block with it. However, considering his precarious grip on the thing, this was perhaps more for Ayela's benefit than his own. They didn't work on the swift parries and counters, but more on direct blocking. It was a maneuver Ayela emphasized as vital. When your enemy has outmaneuvered you, outsmarted you, and gotten past every line of defense, the last thing you have at your disposal is to risk your blade with a straight stationary block. So it must be fast and strong. However, as he showed me last night, sometimes even that isn't enough. They worked well into the darkness until all of Yorvaskar's onlookers trickled inside. It was good to finally be alone with Hayela. He found it easier to focus on what he was doing with the blocking drills. In fact, he felt his mind adjusting to the tactic and hypothesized a wide array of straight blocks that bore the potential for counterattacks. If only he was capable of moving with any bit of haste, he might be able to practice a few. He wondered if his sword would be sharp on both sides or only one. The idea that he could incorporate other grips into the block was... exciting. The other reason he was glad to be alone with Ayala was that he didn't feel as awkward just looking at her. The sweat on her skin glistening in the torchlight, her tunic clinging to her in all the right places. The flickering light of fire can make many things appear as if they themselves are moving and flickering, as if fluid, but not Ayala. Her stoic form stood resolute, carved of marble, more solid than the stone around her. At one point, delirious with fatigue, he almost began to laugh. For as enthralling as her enthusiasm for the intricacies of combat was, she truly was brazen and oblivious. He was just a means for her to talk about the things she loved the most. Okay, that's enough for today, Ayala finally said. The training bar clattered loudly as it hit the ground. He hadn't felt himself let go. He staggered back and leaned against the wall, panting ragged, painful breaths. He tasted blood and spat onto the ground, but there was no trace of red. He tried to move his fingers, but he couldn't. They were all locked stiffly into a curled position as if still holding the training stick. He chuckled and coughed, his saliva feeling thick and heavy. So ended a day at the whims of the Wolf of Whiterun. How often do you do that? He was finally able to ask. A few times a week, she answered, clearly somewhat amused to see him writhing around like a dying worm. From the start? In the beginning, I did this sort of thing every day until I was worthy. You don't have that luxury. Yeah, luxury. The hunter dragged his fingers across the flat surface of the wall in an attempt to uncurl them. That was a lucky shot last night, huh? You were ama you're amazing. Ayala chuckled. <laughs> Thank you. But no, you really got me in the end there. Used what I do best against me. And there's a lot to be said for someone who understands where he's standing. The hunter felt his ears darken, and he took a deep breath and sighed out the feeling. He wasn't used to praise so forthright and unambiguous. Thank you, he said in a numb tone. Ayala approached and placed a hand on his swaying shoulder. 
You should be pleased. You got stronger today. Can't say I feel it. I doubt I could hurt a rat. Ah, you look plenty dangerous to me. Come on. Let's get inside. Seriously? Now? Now that I smell like dirt and sweat? You smell like someone who's done a hard day's work. And trust me, that smiles better than someone who's done a hard year's work. Or decade. Okay. Ouch. The hunter peered around at the equipment scattered across the yard. Shouldn't we put this away? You don't want anyone taking it, right? Ayala chuckled. We're the companions. No one dares steal from us. With that, the doors of Yorvaskar opened and the hunter stepped into the fabled Hall of the Companions. Heat blew into him and dried some of the cooling sweat on his brow. A long stone fire pit was raging in the center of the room. Taking in the oblong hall, the hunter saw banners hung everywhere, their varied embossed emblems set in motion by the gentle winds of the fire. Weathered weapons and shields were displayed on the walls like fine works of art, the nicks, dents, and grooves all telling stories of their own. To his right, sitting below ornate tapestries depicting warriors on boats arriving to new lands, was a door that smelled strongly of cooking food. To his left, set aside from all else seeming to stand as the centerpiece of this living museum, was a shattered weapon hewn from blackened steel. It was incomplete, most of the pieces missing, but the way they were framed made it clear what this thing was. A huge, double-bladed battle axe. Surrounding the fire pit on three sides was a long table, and waving at him from the right end of it was Bracknell. As the hunter walked over, he saw the table was heavy with a feast the likes of which he'd only ever dreamed about. Feasting from this bounty were warriors of every shape and size, all laughing and talking amongst themselves. The din assaulted the hunter's ears, but he didn't feel the claustrophobic pressure as he normally did. Bracknell jovially waved him over to the empty chair next to him. No sooner had he sat down before a woman the hunter didn't know leaned over his shoulder and placed a clean plate in front of him. Thank you, Tilma, the old Nord called behind the hunter. Sure, stranger. You're alive. Barely, the hunter wheezed. He hadn't realized how weak his voice sounded while he was outside in the quiet of the evening. Now he could barely hear himself over the crowd. Here, have a nail. That'll help. Water would be fine, the hunter said, though it was clear Bracknell wasn't really listening. Say, was there something you were going to tell me over a drink? Was there? What was it? You know, I, I don't even remember. Eh, must not have been important then. Here, I want you to meet someone. This is Kodlak Whitemane, the harbinger of the companions. The hunter was almost too exhausted to be shocked. His stomach still dropped into his boots as Bracknell leaned back to reveal a venerable old Nord, with sweeping white hair and beard to match. Eyes a deep soft blue like the depths of twilight squinted at him through a wrinkled noble smile. A Nordic tattoo curled around his right eye and snaked down his neck. Greetings, stranger. Welcome to your Vaskar. Thank you. The hunter blanched at how frail he sounded. He cleared his throat and continued. <clears> throat> it's, uh, it's an honor to be here. 
News of the companion's exploits reaches far, even to the deep wood. Oh, you speak well. Do you get many books out in the woods? No, but I make a point to read when I can. That's good. A keen mind is often undervalued in Skyrim. I thought you did well today. Very few can keep up with Aella the way you did. Respectfully, I don't know that keep up is the proper term. But I do know, trust me. Aella is a handful for most of us. And most whelps can hardly stay conscious through the day. She is the Wolf of Whiterun for a reason. It's a shame you don't wish to stay with the Hall. But I wonder then why you've embarked on this quest for strength. The wilds are a harsh place, and they've taken their toll on me. At first I thought if I could buy the strength to break all that can be bought, then I might buy myself the right to be left alone. But now? I wonder if I might find some purpose. Some way to carve into the world and shape it as it has shaped me. A wise man shapes his world with the warmth of his heart. Tis a fool who would seek to do so with a blade. The hunter hadn't expected such a ready response. I must admit that sounds strange coming from a man who carved out his own legacy on the field of battle. I do not relish violence. How well I fought was never as important as why I fought. And if the road of peace was ever an option, I would take it. I wish we had longer to speak. I would offer you the tales of glory and true honor to be found in this hall. However, I feel both you and the Hall are searching for a different purpose. It's true, I don't feel this is my path, but if there's anything I can do to pay for your hospitality and training, I'd be happy to do it. Codlack did not answer at first. Rather, he glanced to Bracknell, who had pursed his lips. There was a question in his eyes. Bracknell seemed to shrug in response, but the hunter couldn't see his face. Codlack nodded solemnly and looked back to the hunter. It is a generous offer. Perhaps one day I will take you up on it. In the meantime, eat. Please be our guest. The hunter nodded, choosing not to pry, and greedily filled his plate with potatoes, grilled leeks, and meat pie. Sitting back, he changed the subject. If I may ask, what does it mean to be a companion? Codlack snorted and looked at the rambunctious rabble at the table. I expect you'll get a different answer from all those you see here. Even the twins, Farkas and Vilkas. For some, it's a good way to make money. Some wish to take part in the ever-growing legacy of the Hall. Some just want a good fight, and some are looking for a family. As if on cue, the far end of the table erupted into chaos. A dark elf in light hide armor that didn't protect much had leapt up onto the table and dove at a Nord woman with dark helmet matted hair. The two fell back onto the ground and under the uproar the hunter began to hear the dull thuds of fists against flesh. And the kids are at it again, Codlack said tiredly. Who is that? The hunter asked over the scraping of chairs as everyone else hurriedly formed a circle around the brawl and started placing bets. That's Unjeda Stornarm, Bracknell explained, and the Dark Elf is Aethys. Aethys? That name sounds familiar. It should. He's your sparring partner tomorrow. Assuming he lives, of course. The hunter didn't have time to ponder the many troubling things that statement held before a firm hand clasped his shoulder 
and pulled him out of his chair. Forgive me, but I need to borrow him for a moment. Go right ahead, Bracknell said, filching a cut of roast potato from the hunter's plate. And so the hunter was pulled away into the dark corner behind a support beam, beat red the whole way from the realization of who was doing it. Ayala the Huntress swung him around and pinned him to the beam, her steel-blue eyes almost glowing as they bore into his. Compared to how he'd been treated throughout the day, this was a pat on the back by comparison. He took a steadying breath and calmly met her eyes. What do you want, Ayala? I want you in my bed tonight. She breathed in a husky tone. The hunter couldn't stop his heart from fluttering but his eyes narrowed at the warrior. Horse shit, he said after a moment. Ayala grinned at him. Ah, glad you figured that out. I could feel your eyes on me all day. Do you fall for every woman that beats you up? You know, I very well think I might, but that's besides the point. What do you want? Well, after buying your gear and training you all day, I've decided I'm owed a little favor. And what would that be? Ayla's eyes grew fierce then. Her steely blues boiled hot as magma. If Codlack ever asks you to perform a task, go out on a quest for him? If, if you, you value, value your life, you will turn him down. The hunter didn't respond, frozen by the honest, bloody intent behind those words. When he offered no retort, the Wolf of Whiterun smiled. I'm glad we understand each other. Then she was gone, leaving him standing alone pressed into the shadows of Yorvaskar. He stayed there, until his soon-to-be sparring partner was body-slammed through a table and knocked into the next morning. Thank you very much for listening to Chapter 7 of the Skyrim Audio Adventure. Another big thanks to my patrons for helping me along this journey. I was wondering what that Patreon money should go to considering that I am a long, long way off from being able to write for a living and, and being able to quit any of my day jobs. But there are a lot of unique characters and voices that are going to come into the story and I was considering getting some guest voices in on this. Perhaps using the Patreon money as a kind of fun to uh, compensate them and, and help boost their ambitions, or just maybe to compensate them while we all have fun. So if you have any thoughts on that or this chapter, please just leave them in the comments. And once again, thanks for listening.